0: What do you do when you're in an uncomfortable conversation? We see one example of that in the gospel text today. Change the subject. Go to distraction. The people around Jesus are not comfortable with what he's saying. They're not comfortable with what he's holding before them. So what do they do? Rather than engage him in what's going on, they go to distraction. Who are you? Who are you to talk to us? Where do you get this authority? It's the Middle Eastern equivalent of saying, yo mama, (laughs) or questioning his mama, if you listen to it deeply. Who are you and by what authority? Where do you come from? Because when we're uncomfortable with our place in the conversation, often in that discomfort, instead of, really recognizing, admitting, I don't know. It's easy just to go to the person and what we call ad hominem attack in debate. Attack the person. Get it emotional. And Jesus smells it. And so he says, you're wondering by what authority? Okay, well, let me throw out a question to you about John, which they stumble all over and realize the trap has been set. And they do that kind of, you know, almost Columbo-like innocent, well, gosh, I don't know. I don't know what to say here. And he says, well, since you're not going to honor me, don't ask me to honor you and this question about authority. And now that we've gotten the distraction out of the way, let's talk about what the real issue is. Which is? What does it mean to do the will of God? That's the real issue. That's the question. And so he tells a story of two sons. The first one who says, oh, of course I'll do it. Some of you may have had children like this. Some of us have been these children. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. And then you're like, yeah, right. And the second son who says, really, you're going to ask that of me? And who gets all upset, but then shows up. And Jesus says, so which one did the will of God? In America today, we're dealing with a distraction. What does it mean to be patriotic, to kneel or not to kneel? And we're letting ourselves get distracted because we really don't want to deal with the question that the kneeler offered us to consider. What is the state of racial equity in America today? What does it mean to be doing the will of God in America today. Now the issue is laden with all kinds of levels, history, emotional process, generational emotional process, generationally, genetically, uh, passed along emotional process. And by emotional process, I'm not talking about, are you feeling good today or not? I'm talking about our wired instincts, like, for example, if you're in a room and someone comes in the room that you really like and you go, George, man, really good to see you. And your body is really relaxed, it's welcoming. Or you're in the room and someone walks home in whom you are in great conflict and you really have been trying to avoid. You know what your body does you can feel it contract. You didn't tell the body, contract, because that person just walked in the room. We just have instinct emotional process that we learn over generations and that's part of what's going on in America today. The history, you know most of it. 1619, the first Africans are brought here to be slaves and until 1865 there is no emancipation proclamation and so for 12 generations we said what it means to be on this land here is to see people differently to see some as property and those of us who aren't the property get to own them and treat them like that. And we know that the Emancipation Proclamation didn't just change things. For once the war is over and Lincoln dies, within a year, the attempt at reconstruction, the attempt at reparation of saying, how do we right 12 generations of wrong, is essentially dismissed. And it's another 99 years before we as a people pass a law that says you cannot discriminate based on race, creed, ethnicity, color of skin. Five more generations before we made that a law. So now we're talking 17 generations and 350 years of genetic memory passed on. And we Americans are kind of amazing because we wonder why it just doesn't disappear in a couple of decades. I have this Irish friend who grew up in Ireland and came here and said, I got to tell you, I'm amazed at American optimism and desire to change things. It's somewhat naive at times, but I wish we had more of it in Ireland, but it also gets us in a lot of trouble because we think, well, why doesn't that change? Must be the people who aren't changing. We didn't get it done in 10 years. What's the problem? And then when you hear in our area here, Asheville, Buncombe, that 80% of economically disadvantaged white students are at grade level, we say, man, that's not good enough. How do we make that better? And then we realize that about 56% of Hispanic kids, economically disadvantaged, kids who are working with two languages, are at grade level, and then somewhere around 25-26% of economically disadvantaged African-American students are at grade level. That's something systemic. I mean, if I go to the doctor and I'm 80% well, that doctor is going to say, let's look for something acute, because 80 percent's not all bad. But if I go to the doctor and only 25% of me is working, they're calling in multiple specialists because it's multi-system failure systemic, something much deeper needing to be approached much more differently. When we hear from Kathy Avery last Thursday night here that 67% of all African Americans in our area live in public housing, when we consider things that most of us take for granted, when my daughters were living in our house and had a school Um, you know, teacher conference, I'd get in my car. I might be at work a little bit late or I might leave work a little early or slip out during the day, hop in the car, do the conference, get back. But if you're dependent on public transportation, which doesn't run every 15 minutes, and you're an hourly employee, and so you have to punch out, which means not only are you not making income, but every time you leave for a doctor appointment or a student conference, that's one more time you're not there when they expect you to be there. Or if you don't have a car and you're dependent on public transportation to do your grocery shopping, and we may not realize there's a limit of how many bags you can bring on the bus, because essentially it's two, because you have to hold them in your lap, and you have a four-year-old child that you've got to bring to the store. We don't think about that, most of us. Don't have to. Or if you are earning a certain level of income that qualifies you to have health insurance for your child, but if you get a raise of $500 more, you lose it completely. There's no staggered effect up. That's a systemic thing that's holding people in place. And there are all kinds of assistance programs. They're like that. That's systemic. The complexities of 350 years and 17 generations don't go away quickly. And we can't just say, why don't they try harder or study harder? You know, for me, driving on that stretch of Charlotte Street that is by the city garage, what some people call, when I got here, they said, oh, do you know about the Taj garage? For me, it's just a convenient way to avoid downtown, which these days is really nice. But for many African American folks, it is a living reminder of their powerlessness in stopping their neighborhood from being broken apart. It's one more reminder of the history of Asheville, of redlining where it was worked to make sure that African-Americans could be in certain pockets of the city but not others. Genetic, passed on memory. I wonder what would happen in the city if we named that stretch of road one of Asheville's Trail of Tears. Things that are passed along and reinforced. What is the state of racial equity in America today? How do we participate and engage in that? What does it mean to do the will of God in America today? Now hearing these things at times can be uncomfortable, at least for me. No wonder the flag appeals. (laughs) Let me talk about a flag any day because this stuff's deep and it hits me to my core. And these things should make us uncomfortable if we're paying attention. And when we're in this moment of discomfort, one of the tempting questions is to say, well, is the work all ours? And then we bump into two weeks ago's gospel where Peter, a different subject, but same kind of process, the subject was forgiveness, but Peter said, is the work all mine? And Jesus said, that's not the right question. The question is, what is your work? What is our work? During this time of koinonia, we are inviting stories into our community. We are inviting stories from the community that are disturbing. We are listening to stories that can make us very uncomfortable. And if we do indeed find ourselves uncomfortable, rejoice and be glad. If indeed we are finding ourselves increasingly uncomfortable, rejoice and be exceedingly glad because the kingdom of God is in our midst. That's not me, that's Jesus. I mean, listen to the gospel story. Which one was doing the will of God? The one who said, I'm fine, see you later, I'm not doing anything. Or the one who said, you're going to ask me to do what? And shows up. The crowd is working to distract Jesus, to distract the issue, and he won't have any of it. Because what Jesus is saying is, of course this is making you uncomfortable, What part of our stories of our traditions have you not heard of people being uncomfortable when God showed up? I mean, let's just start with Sarah. She's 80 years old when God says, I'd like you to have a child. Now, I'm not a woman. I don't know what it's like to give birth, but I think 20 would have been a little better, right? I got to give birth at 80. Oh, what a joy. Yeah, Moses, the prophets... Did they not grumble? Did they not resist? Jonah gets a whole book because what did Jonah do when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and speak to what's going on there? And what did Jonah do? You remember. Went the other direction, as fast a ship as he could find. Which one was doing the will of God? The issue isn't, will we be uncomfortable? The issue is, will we show up? That's what the second son does. That's what the will of God is about. The writers are trying to let us know, if you listen to Jesus, if you follow Jesus, it will be uncomfortable. It always has, and it always will be. Not just for others, those people that you think should be disturbed, but for all of us. And what does God ask us but to be in relationship and show up? So if we find ourselves uncomfortable at times, if we find ourselves in the midst of discomfort and experiencing some resistance, we'll give thanks to God because to be uncomfortable is to be in the will of God. Rejoice and be glad and show up.